I'm struggling with a cold. I don't know if you could tell. Uh, <laughs> I went to work the other day it's at Clarkson University, and I did something you should never do when you're healthy. I boasted <laughs> about being healthy. <laughs> I, I said to my coworker, I said, you know, it's interesting. I haven't been sick in seven months. You know, I, I figured out this system. I've been taking this thing called Airborne that my dad turned me on to, and it's a miracle. I haven't got sick in seven months, you know? And I don't see any foreseeable future of me getting sick either. And it was like the next day I got sick. And it was a really bad one, too. It was like a really bad cold. So I needed some humbling at that point. Um, so you'll just forgive me if I, if I cough or whatever. Uh, my voice is struggling a little bit. So can everybody hear me, by the way? Yep. Okay. Back there, we're good. Christy? What I'm going to do, I think it's on. The, it's going to be on the screen, is what I want to do is I want to look at 1 Peter 2 today. And I don't know what version you're accustomed to using. Maybe you guys are using a physical Bible or some people are on the app. I myself traditionally use the English Standard Version. But I want to look at 1 Peter 2 today from the New King James Version. And I'll explain to you in a minute why I'm going to do that. It's just a, it's a really good translation for this passage. So if you're able, if you have an app, or maybe it's going to be on the screen, um, you could follow along in the New King James Version. We're going to look at verses 4 to 12 today. Uh, before I do that, can I just pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this lesson? Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are, and thank you for the opportunity to look into your word and, and to know it and to search it and to find the truth in it. And I just pray that you'd allow me to be a mouthpiece for your word and, and stay as close to the text and the truth as I can and to display that properly for everyone here so that we can grow in Christ and love him more and treasure him above all. I uh, just pray that you'd help me uh, by the Holy Spirit and open our own minds and hearts today. We just thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, before I get into the text, I, I want to ask you a question, which is probably a silly question, but did you ever take anything for granted? It's a silly question, right? Did you ever take anything for granted? I know we all do. In fact, we, we take things for granted all the time, if you're anything like me. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to give you a couple examples of things that I take for granted. Um, one of them is actually my health. <laughs> When you're healthy and you're feeling good, it's almost you feel like you're invincible, right? Like life is just going well, and when other people are sick, you're like, oh, I'll pray for you. It's so bad that you're not feeling good, but I'm feeling great. And you take it for granted. And I, I know I do this because when I'm sick, I hate being sick. I hate it. I hate how I feel. I hate that I'm a burden on other people, and I can't do my, my job as, as normal. And it's interesting that when I'm sick, I, I understand how valuable it is to be healthy. And even this past, these past couple days when I've been sick, I was thinking to myself, man, if I get healthy again, when I get healthy again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change things. I'm going to witness to a thousand people this week. I'm going to run three miles a day. You know, I, I tell myself all these like things that are never going to happen. But <laughs> I take sickness for granted. I take health for granted, excuse me. And then when I get sick, I realize how important it is to be healthy. And so that's one thing I take for granted. Another thing is uh, safety. I grew up in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, which I don't know if you guys know. It's it's very low crime and, um, you know, a very easy place to live in. And then God called me to Michigan in 2008. And when he called me to Michigan, he called me to kind of a scary place in Michigan. Uh, the name of the town is Ypsilanti. Uh, my wife grew up there, so I don't mean to offend her. But it was very different than Clark Summit. Uh, and I, I found that out the first couple nights I was there. In fact, the second night I was there, 
um, in Ypsilanti. I was living at the Parsonage next to the church building, which you would think should be a safe area, right? Well, the second night I was there sleeping or trying to get to sleep, a gunshot goes right outside my window. And I'm like, and I, I wake up or stood up or whatever, and I'm, I'm in like a cold sweat because I knew this is like an undeniable sound. I didn't hear many gunshots, but I definitely knew this was a gunshot. And I'm like, it was very close. So for the rest of the night, I couldn't sleep at all. I was just wondering who, what maniac is outside my door shooting a gun at like three in the morning. And where am I now? This isn't Collect Summit any longer. Uh, Janine and I got married, and then she moved into that parsonage with me for a couple years. And we were broken into twice in that house. Uh, they, they came in and robbed our first floor, and then they came another time and went up to the second floor and robbed us that way. So that same house right next to the church building, we got robbed twice. And I had never been robbed before in my life, so I didn't have any experience with that thing. Um, I didn't feel entirely scared because for a while it was me, and then it was just me and Janine and... You know, it wasn't dangerous yet, except for the gunshot. Uh, that's a little scary. But we actually moved um, into an apartment, you know, about two years after we were married, and we wanted to be closer to the campus we were ministering to. So we found this great ideal apartment right next to the campus. It was right across the street, so I could walk over. I didn't even have to get in my car. I could walk to the campus, and it was perfect, you know. The only problem is we didn't do our homework. It was a really cheap rent. Um, which we were thankful for, but there's a reason. It was really cheap rent. Um, the interesting thing is if you, if you move close to a campus, you're going to have a loud atmosphere. Um, there's going to be a lot of parties, and there were a lot of parties, and we found that out pretty quickly. But these parties would often escalate um, to something a little scary. In fact, one time there was a bunch of people you know, drinking and partying and stuff like that, and it, all of a sudden there was a fist fight. And it's like right outside our window again. And I'm like, oh, no, this isn't good. And all of a sudden it was like getting really scary. I mean, fists were thrown and people were angry. And I, I was worried that people were going to start bringing weapons into this. So I'm, I'm like watching this out the window, trying to like not let them see me, of course. And uh, realizing I better call somebody. So I called the police on these people. <laughs> and they came and eventually the thing, you know, settled down. And that happened twice. The next time it was a fist fight out the other window. And it, this time it was like guys versus girls. And it was like, really? Where am I? You know, girls are punching guys and guys are punching girls in the face. I'm like, well, seriously? So, and the thing about it is we moved into this apartment thinking, you know, whatever. It, you know, we can live there for a year or so. And then as soon as we moved into the apartment, we found out we were pregnant. The day we did, the day we moved in. And so Haddon was born nine months later and we moved him into this apartment and fist fights and parties and drinky parties and police coming and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, Janine, this is scary. This isn't a great place to raise a family. So what we decided to do is do a little bit of homework and find out if there was something close, you know, money-wise and, you know, distance-wise from the campus, but a little bit safer that we could move to. And we did. We found a place about a mile down the road. And it was closer to Ann Arbor. I don't know if you guys know where Ann Arbor and Michigan is, but they're right next to each other, Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. Couldn't be more polar opposite. Um, Ann Arbor is safe. It's rich, it's successful, and Ypsilanti is, is downtrodden, it's, it's poor, it's high crime, it's, they're just, the two are polar opposites. But the interesting thing is if you move about a mile down the road, things vastly improve safety-wise. So we did, we found an apartment down the road, and it was higher rent, of course, so we prayed about it, and God allowed us to rent there, and uh, things were fine from that point on. Uh, we didn't have any scary issues that I know of, did we? Nothing sticks out. 
Just what? Phone thief. Oh, the phone thief, yeah. We got a memo, and <laughs> they, they, <laughs> the management dropped off these memos saying, uh, there's a cell phone thief in the area. What he does is he comes to your house, asks if he can borrow your cell phone, and then he runs away with it. So he's like, don't give him anybody your cell phone. <laughs> so Michigan was an interesting place. But things were, were better there safety-wise. And I thought, I thought about that going, well, I understand we live in a dangerous world. And, you know, as Christians especially, you know, it's going to be dangerous at times. But safety is one thing we take for granted, isn't it? When you're safe, you're feeling fine. You don't even think about your life too much. But when you're near danger, even if it's not this kind of danger, you realize how important it is to be safe. So that's another thing we could take for granted. My third example is a little bit sillier. Um, anybody have any phobias? Phobias here? Anybody want to tell me one of your phobias? No, no one's that bold. What is it? Stinging insects. Stinging insects. So bees, wasps, that kind of thing. I have. I probably have that one too. But mine is uh, claustrophobia. Anyone else claustrophobic a little bit? I am claustrophobic. I, I don't know if I'm intensely claustrophobic, but it's definitely there. And <laughs> I went to, we had this discipleship guys meeting that I used to have a couple years ago. And we would meet, you know, every single week. And occasionally we, we would go out to a restaurant and you have our meeting there. So this one time we were going to go out to a restaurant and we were going to go to this, you know, this sports restaurant and just enjoy each other's company and just talk and stuff like that. And <clears throat> so we went to this restaurant. And three of the guys in this discipleship group are very big guys, very big guys. And whatever, you know, so we go to this restaurant and I, I'm talking, so I don't have my bearings and I'm not thinking about the, the seating arrangement. So she takes us to this booth and it's against like the wall, the stone wall, like there's no space. It's the booth right next to the wall, which is no big deal usually. But I just, I, I move into the inner part of that seat. And then right after that, the two biggest guys follow me in. So I find myself against this stone wall with a guy about as twice the size of me right next to me and then another big guy right next to him. And I'm like this. And I don't know what it was, but I start panicking. I'm like, I need to get out of this situation. And everybody's like, what's the issue? What's wrong, Todd? I'm like, guys, we got to move. Or I got to set on the end. Or we need to go into a table. I'm like, I'm very claustrophobic right now. They're like, ah. I'm like, seriously, get out. <laughs> and, you know, guys, I mean, guys, you know, young adults, they love to joke around. So it's like, oh, Todd, you're fine. Or should we move in closer? It's like, you move in closer. It's going to get dangerous. Um, so we moved out. And, you know, I, it's one of those perspective things. As soon as I was able to move my arms and legs, I just felt free. I was like, yes. You know, claustrophobia gone. I can move again. And. It's just one of those things you take for granted, you know, until you're in a situation like that where you don't have it. I want to now direct our attention to 1 Peter 2. The, uh, the title of this lesson is going to be exactly from 1 Peter 2, verse 7, which again, your Bible might say it somewhat, somewhat differently than, than the New King James, but I want to look at the New King, King James Version. And this is what it says in 1 Peter 2, 7. You know what? I don't even have the right version in front of me. I have my physical Bible, and I need to go to the, uh, the app here. So let's go to 1 Peter 2, and I want to direct our attention, first of all, to verse 7. This is what it says. It says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. I want to talk about um, Jesus being precious to us. 
if you guys would um, have to make a list, I ask you this on your notes here, if you would have to make a list of all the things you like, imagine how long that list would be. From seasons to clothing to sports teams to food to people. If you had to make a list of things that you like simply based on that, that list would be really, really long, wouldn't it? At least it would for me. But then if I had you make a list of things that you love, love goes beyond like, right? Love is more intense than like. So if I had you make a list of things you love, I'm guessing that list would be considerably shorter. It still might be lengthy because we, we love a lot of things. But it would, it would be a lot less, um, it would be a lot less big than the list of things you like. What if I asked you this, to make a list of things that were precious to you? I looked up the word precious in the dictionary. It's right on your sheet. These are the two definitions it gave me. It says precious is an adjective. First of all, it means an object of great value, not to be wasted or treated carelessly. The second definition is a noun, and the word precious means a beloved person. So what if I asked you to make a list of things that are precious to you? I wonder if that list wouldn't be very long at all. It might have five to ten things maybe on it. Things that were precious to you. Things that if you lost, you'd be incredibly reduced. You might wonder, can I go on without these things? Things that are precious to you. I have my list. It says in 1 Peter 2.4, excuse me, 2.7, to you who believe Jesus is precious. That's what I want to focus our attention on today. I do want to read the entire text because I think there's a lot of good things to pull out of this. And if we have enough time, we'll get to most of it. But follow along as I read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 12. This is what it says. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. There it is again. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul, having your conduct, conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Our goal today is to find out that Jesus is precious. But the question I have for you today, right now, is, is Jesus precious? Is he to you? I don't need you to answer out loud, but think about it. Is Jesus precious to you? If you made a list of things that are precious, is Jesus on that list? Or maybe we can even hold off answering that for now. 
My goal is for us to answer that at the end, to get there and be able to answer that confidently. And I want us to help each other because in 1 Peter, it gives us the reasons why Jesus should be precious if he isn't yet. And I want to get it from the text. So on your notes, if, does everybody have the notes? Yes? Is that a yes? Okay. Um, I put a bunch of bullet points on here. From, I just pulled them from the text. Things to consider from 1 Peter 2, 4 to 12. And these are things Peter is telling us that are truth for everyone who believes. Jesus being precious. The first one comes from verse 4. <clears throat> it calls Jesus a living stone. I don't know what that means. I know what a stone is. I know what stones are. I've seen many stones, but I don't know what it is to have a living stone. That's a very interesting concept to me. But it calls Jesus a living stone. And the reason why it calls Jesus a living stone is because Jesus has stone-like qualities. He just does. He's strong. He's secure. You know, when you have stone, you, you do things which uh, stone is helpful for, like making a wall or building a house because stone is strong and secure. Well, Jesus is strong and secure. He is a living stone, but the interesting part of that is also alive. Um, my son has this video game that he plays all the time. It's called uh, Kirby. Loves the Kirby game. Thinks about it every day. Um, Kirby in this, in this video game has a lot of different um, powers he can get. And one of the powers Kirby can get is he can get stone power. And Haddon asked, I asked Haddon one time, I said, what does stone power do? And he says, it doesn't do anything. It just doesn't let you get hurt. And I thought that was interesting. That when you get stone power in this video game, you're just, you're just strong and not able to get hurt. I said, he doesn't have any offensive powers? No, you just can't get hurt. It's like, okay. So Kirby has the stone power, but Jesus is a living stone, which means he has stone-like qualities, but he's alive. He's alive. I've never seen a living stone, so there's no parallel to that in my mind. And I, I think that's the point. There's not a parallel. Jesus is a living stone. Not a literal stone, but he has stone-like qualities, and he's alive. He has all of the attributes of someone who is alive as well. Not even just earthly, but eternally. And that's the first thing P Peter wants us to consider. Coming to him as a living stone. The second thing is, Jesus is rejected by men. Obvious, right? I mean, Jesus, if you read the Gospels, men hated Jesus. Many men loved him and wanted to follow him, and many men wanted to kill him. Many men looked at Jesus and said, you've got to be kidding me, this guy? There's nothing, there's nothing of value there. But you know what's interesting from 1 Peter 4? To God, the Father, Jesus is not only not rejected, he's chosen. He's precious. There's that word again. To God, the Father, Jesus is precious. Man looks at it and says, no value. I don't see it. God says, everything is in my son. He is chosen. He is precious. And Peter wants us to understand, man rejects it, God considers him precious. That's important, right? That's an important contrast. We're going to get back to that because it talks about Jesus being the cornerstone. But let's move on. <clears throat> Here's some, some, some things Peter has told us that Jesus has also caused us to be. Again, so that we will consider Jesus precious as believers. In verse 5, it tells us, let's look at here. Um, Wrong chapter. 
Verse 5, it says, uh, he has caused us to be living stones. Well, there's the living stone thing again. But now it's this time, it's us who is the living stone. That when we trust in Jesus Christ, guess what happens? We get strength. We get security. We get stone-like qualities. Not because of our own abilities, of course not. But because we're with Jesus. We're with the person who's strong. Therefore, we're strong. And guess what? He's alive. And when you trust in Jesus, you are too. You're a living stone when you trust in Jesus Christ. You're strong, you're secure, and you're alive forevermore. Praise the Lord for that, right? That we are living stones. He also says we're a part of God's spiritual house. There's another concept I don't really know how to wrap my mind around. I don't know what a spiritual house is. I know what an actual physical house is. I've seen plenty of those. But he says, you are part of God's spiritual house. God is making this house in heaven, and it's a really glorifying house. Janine and I once went to this house we were invited to one time, and we were going to go over there for dinner, and we pull up into the driveway. Never been, never been to this house before, and this house was enormous. It was so big, I thought we were in the wrong place, and I laughed because it was just awkwardly big. It was just so big. And I thought, this is the biggest house I've ever seen. Are we supposed to have dinner here? We felt very out of place. But Jesus is building this spiritual house, which is going to be the most magnificent thing you've ever seen or been a part of. And the coolest thing about it is you and I are part of that house. A significant part of that house. Jesus considers us to be precious. So he's building this house that he is going to find immense glory from and everyone is going to praise and glorify and you and I are a part of it. It's important. Let's keep moving. Peter says we're also a royal priesthood. We're able to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. You know what that is, a, a priest, right? You know what a priest is? We have priests in our era. They're, they're different, uh, sadly, than what Scripture talks about. But back in the day, priests were able to bring things to God. They had a special calling. In the Old Testament, they had to be the high priest was the only one who would go into the Holy of Holies and give God special sacrifices because A, he was chosen, and B, he had to go through this process of becoming holy and then coming into the Holy of Holies to be able to present the sacrifice to God. It was a big deal. It was a big deal to be able to give something to God that he would accept. And only these main guys who were chosen could do that. And now here in 1 Peter 4, Peter says, you're all a part of the priesthood. All of you can offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Why? Because of Christ. Christ is your mediator. Christ is the one who cleans it, filters it, if you will, and makes it pure and holy in the sight of God. So when I praise God, when I do something for God, when I serve God on my own abilities, that's not great. You know, it's not, that's not something God would accept. But when it comes through Christ, God wants it. That's beautiful. That's glorious. Bring it to me. I find that sweet-smelling. I find that acceptable. I want as many of those as I can get. And Christ is the one who makes that possible. He also says we're a chosen generation in verse 9. He says we're a holy nation, God's own special people. It also says in the passage that once we were not a people, and now we are God's people. You know what that could mean? Before we were insignificant. We had no significance. 
before Christ, we were just fire tender. We, had, we were cursed. We were sin-stained. We really had no worth at all. We were not a people. We were not special. As soon as we trusted in Jesus Christ, we are God's special people. God chose us and then calls us special because of Christ. Where before, we were nothing. I mean, if you remember the Gentiles, at the beginning, it was all about the Jews, right? All about the Jews. The Jews were God's chosen nation. The Jews were the holy chosen nation of God. And the Gentiles were everybody else who weren't God's chosen people. And then all of a sudden, in the New Testament, you see God's plan unfolding where now the Gentiles are adopted into the family of God. And it's like, wow. And the Jews don't get it. They're like, no, 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 no. We're the chosen nation. You guys are nobodies. And the, the apostles and Jesus are trying to explain to them, no, the Gentiles are a part of God's plan. God's chosen people are also the Gentiles. Also loved by God. Also able to be saved. Also able to receive the Holy Spirit and to serve God. Each one of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ are God's special people. God considers you precious and valuable. That's why he loves you. Because he chose you, he considers you precious and special, and he has immense love for each one of you because of that. It also says in verse 10 that at one point we hadn't received mercy. Do you see that there in the text? And now we have received mercy. It sounds like just a, you know, just a transaction took place here. Well, that's exactly what happened. Well, right before you trusted in Jesus Christ, your sins belonged to yourself. They were yours. So whatever you did, you were responsible to pay for them. Every one of them. And you had no mercy upon your account at that point. Every sin you committed, God took note of it, and God said they will pay for that. And as soon as we trust in Christ, mercy flows. Mercy flows to our heart, to our soul, and it cleanses us. And suddenly we are clean and holy and spotless before God. And that's what Peter's saying. Listen, you have to understand what was happening before and what is happening now. They're so contrasted. You weren't God's people and now you are God's people. You, never, you didn't receive mercy and now you have received mercy. That's a big deal. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that changed. Christ came to your soul and cleansed it and rose it from the dead. And now you're merciful, or now you're people who receive mercy in God's chosen special nation. Here's another one which I found in verse 11, which maybe sounds strange why that would be a good thing, but he calls us sojourners and pilgrims. You know why I think this is cool? Um, if you know anything about this world, I don't want to belong to this world, do you? I don't. I don't want to be a citizen of earth. There's some good things about earth, but the earth isn't going to a good place, is it? The earth is in a very bad place. And the scripture here calls us sojourners, pilgrims, which means we're headed somewhere else. We're, we're stopping here for a moment, like you do when you go on a journey, right? You stop somewhere to use a restroom or get something to eat or fill up the gas tank, and then you move on. Well, that's what we are here. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. Another passage calls us strangers and aliens. We don't live here. We're citizens of heaven, bound and set on a journey to move in that direction. Which means when this earth goes and passes away, you won't. You won't. Because you're in Christ. Because you're in Christ. That's the only denominator. 
hopefully you're starting to see where Peter is going. To you who believe, Jesus is precious. He's not just important. He's not just someone you like or love. But he's precious. Look at this from verse 7, though. <laughs> first Peter 2, 7. We talked about the first part. <clears throat> so the honor is for you who believe. Excuse me. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Remember the people who rejected Jesus Christ? They looked at Jesus and said, there's no value there. It's interesting, but that the stone that they kind of kicked away and threw away is actually the most important stone. In the, in the old times, they would use this thing called a cornerstone, which is basically a foundation. They would build everything upon this cornerstone. It was the strongest stone. So the entire structure of the house would stand because of the strength of the cornerstone. And that's what they're calling Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ isn't just one of the stones. He's the cornerstone. If you don't have the cornerstone, the entire structure collapses. And yet the people rejected him and said, he's no, no value. To illustrate this point um, for you, Back in the late 90s, there was a company that was getting popular. As soon as I say this, you'll probably know who I'm talking about. They started off as a search engine. Anybody want to guess who I'm talking about in the late 90s? Yeah, go ahead. Google. Do you remember that? When they were just a search engine? I was more of a Yahoo search. Okay. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, back in the day, there were like three big search engines. It was like Google, Yahoo, and I think there was another one called like Excite or something like that. And Google for a while was just a search engine. I remember it because I was in college at that point. And, you know, we had internet in our dorms. And when you wanted to find out something, you went to your little search engine, Google, which was the best one. And you typed it in and it brought you results. And it was fantastic. It was like, yeah, this is important. This is huge. Because now I can get results really easily. Well, you know what's interesting? Google was getting popular. And Google was kind of separating themselves from Yahoo and Excite. They were clearly the best search engine. You know, Yahoo and Excite were there. Maybe you like that one more. <laughs> But Google was the best, and everybody started to realize Google was the best. But you know what happened? And I didn't know this until you know, a little while ago. Google actually tried to sell their company around that point. They were getting uh, valuable. They were getting popular. So they went to another company and said, hey, you guys want to buy us out? $1 million. That's our price, price tag. $1 million to buy Google and to own Google. company said, no thanks. Nah, a million dollars, that's a lot of money. What even are you? You're a search engine. You know, there's Yahoo, there's Excite. You're just one of many things. You know, you're no big deal. They said no to buying Google for a million dollars. Do you know what Google's valued at today? What is it? $101.8 billion. Do you see what's happening there? Like if some bozo would have thought about it for a second and go, wait a minute, the internet's kind of taken off and Google's kind of important with the internet. Maybe a million's worth it. They'd be in a huge chunk of change right now. But they looked at Google and said, you're just a search engine. You're really of no value. We're not paying a million dollars for you. Take a hike. They lost out on $1.1 billion. $101, not $1.1. Here's the idea of Christ. They looked at Christ and they said, well, you're not valuable. I, I understand you're a good teacher, you're a moral guy, but you're not rich. You're not powerful. You don't have a throne. 
Even when you ride in for your parade, you're on a donkey? Really? I don't find any value in you at all. Not only should we reject you, I want you gone because you're a troublemaker. You seem to be a rebel. So let's kill you. The stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone. God built everything on Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 8, he became a stone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Not only did they reject him, one day they will trip on him to their downfall. And their downfall will be permanent and eternal. You either build upon Christ or you trip on him on your way to destruction. That's how valuable and important Jesus is. So, the question again is, is he precious to you? If he is, if you can look at this list and understand these things, this is where verse 11 and 12 come in. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. If Jesus is precious to you, it's, it's very simple. Avoid the things that hurt him and you. Fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. If Jesus died for you, then losing you is incredibly important to him. He doesn't want to lose you. So he doesn't want things that hurt you. Just like I don't want things that hurt my children. I'm going to watch out for things that hurt my children and keep them from those things. But it also hurts, hurts him when we live for fleshly lusts. Because it's the opposite of treating him as precious. Even to say that today, that Jesus, you're precious, and then to go and live in fleshly lusts means we don't consider him precious. We consider the fleshly lusts precious because they're polar opposite. And Peter says, if he's precious to you, then abstain from the things that hurt him and hurt you. They don't do you any good, and they don't do him any good. They hurt him. The worst thing I could think about is when I hurt someone that I consider to be precious, right? The people that are precious to you don't want to hurt now, on occasion, unfortunately, we do hurt those people, but you don't want to hurt people who are precious to you. I don't want to hurt Christ. Do you want to hurt Christ? And Jesus is also looking out for you. These wage war against your soul. These things can kill you. Don't go near them. I'm telling you as a loving Lord and Father, do not go near these things. Here's another thing to do if Jesus is precious to you. Have honorable conduct among the Gentiles, where in this context, now Gentiles just means unbelievers, people who still don't believe in God, don't believe in Christ, have honorable conduct among the Gentiles. You know, Jesus tells us in the New Testament to not display our good works so as to be seen, in other words, to get your pat on the back or people to say how righteous and holy you are. But there is still a context where you and I are supposed to live holy in an unholy world. Supposed to live righteous in a place that loves sin. Have honorable conduct among the Gentiles. And it says there in verse 12, show good God-glorifying works. Display good works to this world because they speak about God. Good works speak about the Lord when you do them and perform them. They go, whoa, that's not like what we do. That's not like this world. That's otherworldly. When you live in love and obedience and holiness, 
it's a display to the world that you belong to someone else and that someone else is important to you. So if Jesus is precious, abstain from lusts which wage war against your soul and live honorably before this world as a testimony to Christ, not to you, to Christ, so that you can shine his light upon this world. So let's answer the question tonight, today. Myself included. It says in verse 7, to you who believe, he is precious. And there's no other part to that. It's like, that's it, period. To you who believe, he is precious. So if he is precious, you believe. I mean, it's that simple. So my application, which is on your sheet as well, is if Jesus is indeed precious to you, number one, you can have full assurance that you are believing in Jesus because he's precious to you. The most famous verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. Do you ever struggle wondering if you actually believe or have believed? I did for a long time. Peter's helping us here. If Jesus is precious to you and you live your life that way, you believe. You believe. There's no other way that would be, that would be possible than for you to believe. You wouldn't treat Jesus as precious otherwise. And if you do treat him as precious, you believe. Find confidence in that. That you are believing in Jesus because he's near, he's dear, he's cherished by you. Not only that, you can have confidence on the other side of your eternal destination. Because those who believe in Jesus will not perish, but will have everlasting life. But again, there's one condition. One condition. You must believe. And the way that you know that you believe is that you cherish Jesus. I asked you the, if you made the third list of things that are precious to you. <clears throat> what if you not only had to make that list, but you had to rank that list? So two questions. Would Jesus be on the list? And second of all, where would he be on the list? I don't think Peter just wants him to be precious amongst other precious, but the precious of the precious. That you could scarcely get by without some of the other precious things on your list. But without Christ, you crumble. You fall. You have no mercy. You're not God's people. You're not a sojourner. You belong to the earth. But with Christ, all of those things are promises and realities for your soul. Is Jesus precious to you? And if he is, number three... You can love him, which again should be astonishing because for a long time we couldn't love Christ. No matter what we tried to do, it wasn't pleasing to God. It wasn't acceptable to God. And now I can actually love him. Not just receive a big banquet line of his love to me. I can actually love him in return because he's precious. So is he precious? Number two, I, I, I understand the tension here. Um, if Jesus isn't precious to you or you don't know if he's precious to you, I have to say this because I think it's true. You might not believe. 
you might not believe. There was a time in my life from a long period, actually, from my young, young childhood days to my early 20 days that I considered myself a believer, but Jesus wasn't precious. I didn't cherish Jesus. I didn't keep him as precious in my heart and my soul. I didn't love him. I didn't serve him as precious. And yet I've convinced myself I'm still a believer, even though he's not precious. And then the Lord had to awaken me and go, hmm, not sure you're believing. Jesus isn't precious to you. So if Jesus isn't precious to you or you're struggling whether he is precious to you, maybe you don't believe. And that's not to get you down. That's to get you up. Turn to him. Trust in him for the first time. Look to him. Go to him. Confess your sins to him. He wants to build you. He wants to make you part of his spiritual house. The whole point is so that Jesus can be precious because he is precious. And then maybe there's a number three. Maybe Jesus was precious to you at the beginning. This happens too. Scripture brings it up. It tells the church in Revelation, you've lost your first love that you had at first. Remember that? He was precious at the beginning. And then life began to get hard and difficult and monotonous. And you just lost the love. Jesus didn't become precious to you. It just became duty to you. So if your heart has grown dull to this, it's really simple. Consider the value and the worth and the great love of Christ and fall in love with him again. Because once Jesus is precious, you are a new creature. You act differently. You think differently. You love different things. You treat this world as if you're a sojourner. You don't set up camp and start to protect everything. I'm journeying on. I'm going somewhere else. I don't care about this stuff. What I care about is glorifying my Lord and, and journeying on to the other side. Because I want to be where my precious one is, Christ. So let's consider that today. Here's the last thing, but the most important thing. It's verse 7. And that's why I like the translation of the New King James so much. To you who believe, he is precious. Is he precious to your soul today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word says some wonderful and profound things and sometimes some hard things. But Father, I hope that we find encouragement today from this, that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is everything. And he's available to us. All we have to do is reach out by faith and, and grab a hold of him. And he's ours forevermore. And when we do that, Father, he is precious. And I hope that everyone here would understand the value and the worth of Christ and wouldn't let anything get in the way of receiving what is precious. And that we would consider how precious he is today and, and give him what he's worth, what he's due, what he's, what he's valued, what he's worthy of. And we just would look at our lives and go, anything. I'll give you a blank check, Christ, because you're valuable and you're precious to me. And I'll go wherever, I'll do whatever, I'll, I'll speak the gospel to whomever, as long as you're pleased. Help my soul even, Father, as sometimes it comes just about duty and not about love for you. We'd ask that you touch our hearts tonight and increase our, our gaze, our belief in who Jesus is. 
And we thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.